The euro area banking sector is resilient with strong capital and liquidity positions. Reassurances are meant to make us feel better. But when it comes to the banking system, authorities telling us that everything is okay, as European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde did this week, is the very thing that makes us start to worry. Now, why is that? And why do they do it? Cliff Taylor is economics columnist with the Irish Times. On the one hand, they have to say, look, we're confident, we're fully confident that our banks are completely sound. They won't need a penny. They can look after themselves. But at the same time, you know, if, if something does go wrong in the unlikely event, then, you know, we have, a, we have a bag of cash here that we can throw in if necessary. And stand ready to respond as necessary to preserve price stability and financial stability in the euro area. Everything's OK, but at the same time, the money's there <laughs> if, if it isn't OK at all. Uh, and, you know, is that completely credible? Uh, no, it isn't. Um, is there another kind of obvious way for them to operate in this situation? I guess there isn't. But the big question for Irish people who remember the catastrophic 2008 financial crash is, could it be happening again? No two crises are the same. Ireland was at the very centre of things back in 2008. We were the bad child in the class. There's no sense of that happening again. But we do face an international period of some uncertainty now. Banking crises are never pretty. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, just how ugly could this banking crisis get? In just 24 hours, markets will reopen and rattled investors are going to start to assess the fallout of the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history. Silicon Valley Bank is now under the control of the FDIC after panic among its customers set off a bank run. Cliff, about a fortnight ago, a large American bank, Silicon Valley Bank, collapsed. In the past week, Credit Suisse, the second largest bank in Switzerland, nearly collapsed and had to be rescued. In simple terms... What links those two events? Or do they have any causes in common? Well, they do. Uh, What links the two of them, Bernice, is that in both cases, depositors rush to try and get their money out. And when depositors lose confidence in a bank and rush to try and get their money out, uh, no matter how big and mighty the institution is, it can quickly uh, lead to problems. Now, I suppose there are different causes in in the two different cases. So in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, it got caught in a squeeze, if you like. Its investments were falling very sharply in value because the US Central Bank has been putting up interest rates, uh, as, as we all know. And on the other side, it's, it's, it, its lending is to the tech sector. And also, as we all know, the tech sector has been facing some difficulties. So a lot of its depositors were looking to get their money out. And it, it had to go to the markets and say, look, we have to sell some of our investments in order to pay our depositors. When that happens, it's a, it's, it's a huge red flag and the bank quickly, you know, got into real difficulties and collapsed. Now, the situation in Credit Suisse is a little bit different, but it got into problems as a knock-on, if you like, from what happened in Silicon Valley Bank and a knock-on to what happened more widely in the US where a couple of other smaller banks had to be shut as well, including some that were involved in the, in the cryptocurrency market. Credit Suisse has been weak for a long time and it was always going to face difficulties if some kind of global problems hit the banking sector. It's been loss making. It's been involved in a lot of scandals. 
it's been going through a massive restructuring program uh, and you know it's been fighting to save itself i suppose for some time and in an environment where post silicon valley bank collapse investors and depositors were looking for risks elsewhere credit suisse was you know clearly had its head above the parapet as, as, as something that would run quickly into difficulties as happened with silicon valley bank its depositors started to look for their money back and when depositors start to look for their money back all at the same time you know banks run into problems no matter how big and huge they are. And Credit Suisse is, is, you know, is one of the world's biggest financial institutions employing 50,000 people. So it is quite the story, all right. So so let's talk just a little bit more about, about Credit Suisse. I suppose because it's closest to us, it's got a global footprint. When Credit Suisse's problems became apparent last week, first, it got a loan from the Swiss Central Bank of $54 billion. But even that wasn't enough. And then after a weekend of negotiations, what seemed like sort of the 11th hour on Sunday night, the bank was bought and taken over by UBS, its biggest rival in Swiss banking, the number one bank in Switzerland. How is that transaction supposed to help? And is it enough? I guess we'll see in the next while whether it's enough or not. But it's supposed to help by uh, linking or basically by doing away with Credit Suisse's problems by merging it into a stronger institution, which is UBS. And now a lot of people are are going to lose their jobs. A lot of Credit Suisse shareholders are going to lose a lot of money in that transaction. But the idea of regulators, and you know, and, and there's no doubt that this deal was forced through by regulators, and and quite the squeeze was put on UBS to make it happen, and by Credit Credit Suisse to agree, uh, was was that merging it into a much stronger institution with a much stronger reputation, and and basically doing away with its existing management and a lot of its problem areas would would effectively stem the problem. It has certainly calmed markets a little bit, but it has left a lot of questions as well uh, in its wake about, about how such things are managed. And, you know, as in America, uh, we're left asking again, um, how, how could this be allowed to happen? This wasn't meant to happen again after 2008. One consequence of that deal is that a particular type of investor in Credit Suisse Bank has now lost everything. Those investors own something called AT1 bonds that are worth $17 billion and they're now worth nothing. So, you know, that's bad news for those bondholders. But does it matter beyond them? This does bring us back to 2008, doesn't it? Talking about bondholders being wiped out or not being wiped out. It matters for a couple of reasons. One is that post the financial crash, uh, regulators have tried to put in place uh, arrangements whereby bondholders do get hit if a bank gets into trouble. And this is, everybody understands that, if you like, from the off. And, you know, again, going back to the Irish situation in 2008, we got into awful rows about whether the bondholders should have been hit, whether it should all have fallen on the taxpayers. And of course, the bondholders should have been hit harder back then, but there just wasn't the structures in place to do it. And now there are the structures in place. But why this particular one has been controversial is that the institutions who invest in these kind of bonds, which basically means that they they lent the bank money and got a good return for it, uh, had expected that shareholders would be wiped out before their investments were wiped out, if you like. Mm. And in the in the case of Credit Suisse, that, that, that hasn't happened. The, cre- the shareholders have lost a lot of money, but they haven't lost all their money. But nonetheless, the Swiss regulators have said, that this uh, class of bondholder is going to be wiped out. So the the bondholders are saying, look, we understood the rules operated one way. In fact, they operate another way. 
shouldn't investors sometimes lose all their investments? After all, I, I mean, as you said, they, they stand to make big money if things go well. Absolutely. I think there's no question. And certainly the new structures that have been put in place in the Eurozone market post the crash have tried to ensure that that, you know, that, that should happen. I think the crunch point in this really comes not only with with investors, but also with depositors. And what happened in the US was that once Silicon Valley Bank got in trouble, the authorities there made it very clear that depositors would get all their money back. Now, these weren't in the case of Silicon Valley Bank. These weren't, you know, mom and pop depositors with uh, a few thousand dollars in the bank. These were big uh, big tech companies, big tech funds, uh, big figures in the tech industry with multi-million dollar uh, deposits in the bank. And, you know, you could argue uh, that they should take some of the pain uh, in, in the case of, of a bank going bust. But this is the line, I suppose, that has been drawn. Uh, and the line that has been drawn is that, you know, depositors will be protected in, in all cases because regulators are terrified that if depositors aren't protected, uh, then when one bank goes bust, you risk deposit runs all over the place. And as you know, as we said a few minutes ago, once depositors lose confidence, then banks can get into trouble really quickly because if people are queuing at the door, as they were in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, then you know you know you're in trouble, and there's really no way back from that. How is the global banking system responding to, to all these developments? Nervously, I'd say, Bernice. Very nervously. Uh, there's been huge falls or significant falls in share prices right across the world. And really what this goes back to is the very fast move by central banks to increase interest rates over the past year. You know, we've seen interest rates go up, you know, depending on which market you're looking at by three and a half, four, four and a half percent. It's the fourth rate hike in a row. The ECB has been raising rates at an unprecedented pace to fight inflation. The speed at which they have gone up over the last year is really unprecedented. And that has caused things to shake out in the financial system that really nobody had anticipated. The first sign of that, if you like, was the kerfuffle in the UK bond market last year. Now, that was caused by political factors as well, but it was also a result of a big, big increase in interest rates. And the Silicon Valley Bank, the key issue there as well was the impact on its investments from big increases in interest rates from the US Central Bank. And the worry now among investors is that there may be other things lurking in the financial system that emerge over the over the coming weeks and months uh, that no one had anticipated, much the way that no one really had anticipated uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Now, the flip side is regulators say, look, we've put in place much stronger requirements on banks to hold cash, uh, to hold other assets, um, to, 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 to maintain liquidity and to have really strong balance sheets. And we are confident that um, that, that these can see us through these cri- this crisis. You know, there are a few echoes there from what happened back in 2008 and and afterwards as well. But I think certainly looking at European banks, there's no doubt that the whole structure is a lot stronger than it was uh, back then. So we must hope that no further nasties appear. Coming up, how will this banking crisis affect Ireland? I'll continue my conversation with Cliff Taylor after this short break. So I suppose, you know, this is real crystal ball stuff, isn't it? But do you do we have any idea at now, this week, how bad this crisis could get? 
And no is the short answer, <laughs> I suppose, the honest answer, because as I said, nobody saw these problems emerging uh, in, in the way that they did. Uh, so it would be dishonest to expect that, you know, we know what's going to happen over the next few weeks. If you talk to banking experts, um, you know, read Patrick Honan, who's writing in the Irish Times today, there is kind of a sense that the the safeguards put in place after the financial crash are are really significant. Uh, and that while there may be some other, you know, one one off cases uh, that, that emerge in, in, you know, in banks across the world, in America, certainly uh, in, in Europe, perhaps, uh, that we're not going to see anything like we saw back in 2008. And what about the Irish banks? You know, the few that we have. I, many of us remember, and I certainly do, that night in 2008 when our financial regulator went on prime time. It was a very nervy week, I remember. And by any estimate, the Irish banks are so well capitalised compared to any banks anywhere across Europe that I am confident that they can absorb any loans or any impairments that emerge in the ordinary course of business. He told the country that our banking system was resilient and he said there was more than adequately capitalised. Now, we're hearing the same sort of language now. So, you know, why, why should we believe it? Yeah, I think there is a, a credibility issue there for regulators everywhere. You know, investors certainly over the last couple of weeks have been shooting first and asking questions later. But I do think that in terms of the Irish banks, things are much more solid uh, than they were back in 2008. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that Irish banks have had to follow much stricter rules after the financial crash uh, in terms of the amount of cash they keep and the amount of ready assets they keep, you know, in case they, in ca- in case they lose money or in case depositors start looking for cash or whatever. The second is that they, they are absolutely wedged with, with depositors' cash Irish people have been running down borrowings and increasing savings in in net terms since the financial crash and obviously hugely increased savings during COVID. So there are massive amounts of money lying in the Irish banks in in deposits and they are there and they're, if you like, a, a buffer in case any difficulties do hit. The other key issue is that they don't have the risks on their loan book that they did back then. So back then, Banks, you know, Irish banks were, were a play on the property market, if you like, and particularly a play on the commercial property market. And when the commercial property market went bad, their loan books went bad. Everything, you know, started to unravel very quickly. And now the Irish banks have, have very limited exposure to commercial property because they haven't been allowed to build up their property lending in the way they did in the past. And, and, and the boards don't, don't want them to anyway. You know, arguably, they should be lending more into the Irish economy rather than less. So, you know, could there be some some impact on the Irish banks from this in terms of increasing their costs, you know, in terms of increasing costs to people borrowing? Yep, there could conceivably be. Uh, could there be any danger to Irish banks? Uh, I don't think so. Of course, if this does spark some kind of a wider global downturn, that's, you know, going to hit the economy and that's uh, going to make life a bit difficult for, for, for all of us, including the banks as well. But um, it's not clear yet that that's going to happen. When you say making life a bit difficult, whatever about, you know, the issues in the bank's boardrooms, what what does it mean for ordinary Irish savers, investors, depositors and mortgage holders who are currently hurting anyway? Well, I think there's there's probably two, two specific things to watch in that regard. One is whether this banking crisis builds and leads to kind of a, a further downturn in global economic growth. And obviously, anytime global economic growth turns down, well, then Ireland, you know, Ireland gets affected. Um, so that is, I suppose, the first way that this could uh, that this could transmit to uh, the Irish economy. 
The other issue is in terms of what its impact is going to be on interest rates. And this is kind of an interesting one because, as we said, one of the reasons uh, why banks have got into trouble uh, in America and uh, also putting pressure on Credit Suisse is that interest rates are going up so quickly. And there's a lot of talk in the markets now about whether central banks would be able to increase interest rates as quickly as they had signaled that they would. There's some talk that the ECB might pull back a half point increase that it might have planned from a to a quarter point or that it might go ahead by by a half point, but that might be it. So in other words, that interest rates might go up more slowly or they might top off at, at a slightly lower level than they would have, which I think would be good news for Ireland. I think the first thing to watch on that on that score, if you like, is is, is the Fed, the US Federal Reserve Board, its central bank, which is meeting this week. Now, a few weeks ago, everyone had thought a half point increase in Fed interest rates this week was a nailed on certainly because inflation there is still high. Now people are saying, well, maybe maybe they won't go at all or maybe they'll go by a quarter quarter point. I, I think they probably will because US inflation is 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 uh it's still higher than they would have liked. Uh, but I think it would be a brave uh, move by the Fed to go by more than a quarter point this week. Uh, and there's increasing talk in the US that that may be it, that Fed rates may now be topped out. Um, so, so we just have to see how this plays out. But there is a there is a possibility uh, that it's going to limit the ability of central banks to to increase interest rates over the coming months. Or is it the thing that tips us into into a recession finally? After there's been talk for the past year that we're that Europe is going to be tipping into a recession. So, so but but it still hasn't come to pass. So could could this banking crisis be the thing? It could, it could absolutely, and it, you know, likewise, it could be in America, and there could be a knock-on from one to the other. Uh, there's no doubt that economies are vulnerable. There's no doubt they've suffered a lot of shocks from COVID uh, to higher energy prices and the war, uh, messed up supply lines. A hundred things have you know hit economies over the last few years, uh, and the wonder really is that there hasn't been uh, there hasn't been a lapse into recession. I suppose consumer spending has been in recession, but not but not general economies. Uh, so too early to call, I think, whether a recession is, is, is on the way or not. But this, this is another shock. Uh, and it certainly has the potential to hit growth, uh, to hit growth over, the, over, over the coming months. Um, so we'll have to watch that one as well. Uh, it, it's a hard one to forecast. Thanks very much, Cliff. For more Irish Times journalism, including Cliff Taylor's economic analysis, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.